You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic holistic physician, best-selling author, international speaker, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Menopause is a normal stage of a woman's life. Now, according to the National Institute of Aging, menopause occurs between 45 and 55 years of age and lasts for around seven years. But to some, it can continue for up to 14 years. Interestingly, if menopause symptoms occur earlier in life, the longer time period they may last. Ah, Surgery or chemotherapy can also push a woman into early menopause. Hot flashes and night sweats are some of the annoying symptoms that can occur before and during menopause because of the fluctuating hormone levels, including estrogen and progesterone. Today, we have one of the leading experts in women's wellness and menopause. He's a sought-after speaker, consultant, and menopause coach at menopausecoaching.com. He's also the editor of the number one digital magazine for midlife women, hotyearsmag.com, as well as the best-selling author of The Estrogen Fix. Welcome to Wellness for Life, Dr. May Seibel. Wow, what a pleasure to be with you, Suzanne. So excited about it. Ah, we are so happy to have you because, I, you know, I'm 57 and, and once in a while I still will deal with a hot flash here or two. So I am super interested in sharing your expertise on menopause. I'd like to know, and I'm sure the audience wants to hear, how did you get into menopause being a male uh, gynecologist? <laughs> well, I got into menopause in, an, in a very personal way. Uh, what happened was that I was a fertility expert primarily. I did some of the first in vitro fertilizations in the United States, the first in Massachusetts. And I was moving along in that area and advancing uh, things. And then what happened was my wife went into early menopause only a few months after a study came out that said, and I might say incorrectly, that estrogen increase the risk of breast cancer. And as a result, there she was only months after that study, and her doctors were really reluctant to treat her. And so I really transitioned because I wanted to figure it out so Sharon wouldn't have to tough it out. Wow. So you're saying that she was she went into early menopause. Um, and may I ask what age that it was? Just so that... that our well, listeners understand what, what some of the symptoms might have been for her and and um, what to look out for. Yeah. Well, let me address that in two parts. One, she had early menopause because she has had a, um, a BRCA gene and had to have surgery to remove her ovaries. And so that threw her into immediate menopause. And she was in her early 40s. And so she went from being absolutely uh, ovulating and normally woman to someone who immediately went into menopause and the symptoms in that case are much more severe. But about 5 to 10% of women go into menopause naturally before age 45 and 1 in 100 women goes into menopause before age 40. So it's pretty common that younger women uh, experience menopause and the symptoms can start up to a decade before menopause in the natural system. So uh, it's a lot of women at much earlier ages than they realize it's possible. 
Mm. It sounds to me, Sharon and I uh, had a similar experience in that, not that I had the surgery, but I had a head injury that triggered panhypopituitarism, which uh, the concussion squeezed down on my pituitary gland. So I actually completely had um, went into early menopause within weeks of my injury. Mm. And I never got my period back and, and it being forced into early menopause was horrendous. Symptomatology, uh, you know, your body is doing all four sorts of weird symptoms. I couldn't sleep and anxiety. I'm sure Sharon went through that too. But you mentioned that perimenopause, or I should say menopause 10 years earlier on, or symptoms, um, it's considered perimenopause yes. or around that time. Can you give us the, the uh, explanation of the difference between perimenopause and menopause for our listeners? Sure. Perimenopause, like the perimeter, it's the area around menopause. So it starts up to a decade before and is most intense in the five or three to five years before. And what happens is the, the hormones that you remember being so unbalanced in puberty as you were going through puberty and you started to having mood swings and your skin got different and your periods were just starting, they were irregular and your body shape started to change and hair was coming in different places. All of those things are caused by unbalanced hormones. And then you go through normal reproduction where your estrogen and progesterone are very balanced and that goes on for about three decades or more. And then suddenly puberty happens in reverse, and that's called perimenopause. And so you have the untearing of very synchronized hormones into an unbalanced hormone state. And as a result of that, all of those symptoms of mood changes, hot flashes, poor sleep, changes in your skin, hair growth in places you didn't expect it to happen, and a sensitive bladder and dryness and less libido and interest in sex, all of those kinds of things, not necessarily all to the same person, but all of those are possible and do happen. Some of them happen to almost everyone. Mm. You know, there's also hidden symptoms I find for a lot of women. And actually, you know, I experienced it was anxiety and depression. That was very interesting. Yes, those are very common. Yes, yes. Anxiety is one of the most common symptoms and, uh, and not necessarily clinical depression, which is really a profound sadness that lasts for two weeks or more. Uh, but really a level of sadness that's quite different in the anxiety. And again, these are caused by the effect of the lowering and imbalanced estrogens on the uh, the neurochemistry of the brain, and it causes that to occur. Mm. So when I went through all of the fluctuations, um, I personally did not use any estrogen replacement uh, what ended up happening was I used more plant stem cells, um, such as raspberry and cowberry and oak plant stem cells. And, and I also had uh, um, the phytoestrogens, which really helped for me. But not everyone can they use the natural formulas. You know, there's a lot of discussion about the safety of estrogen replacement therapy. So what is that? And can you tell us your take on it, the, your truth on what it, if it's safe or not? I think that it's very clear now that for the majority of women, estrogen is a safe and reasonable alternative. That doesn't mean everybody's going to want to take it. 
because either they can't or they may not want to, which is fine. There are alternatives. But the reason there's so much confusion about hormones is because in the original study that made all of the the uh, fright come out in 2002, the Women's Health Initiative, or the WHI, that found that there appeared to be an increased risk of breast cancer and other problems. What happened was, at the time of that study, which started in the late 1990s, there were so many women on estrogen that they couldn't find women who weren't on estrogen to be in the study. And so even though the study included women who who were between the ages of 50 and 79, both the, the people who got hormones and the women who did not and who got the placebo, the women who got the hormones were all mostly, 75%, were between the ages of 60 and 79, and the women who got the placebo, 75% of them were between the ages of 50 to 59. So what happens, you were comparing 60 to 79-year-old women on who happened to be taking a hormone to women who were 50 to 59, younger and healthier, who were not. And that's where the confusion came. And when the same women in the same study were just reevaluated and the ones that were between uh, started hormones between 50 and 59, when they lined them up so that they were uh, the, comparing women of the same age to women of the same age, the problems went away. And, and it turns out that even in that Women's Health Initiative study, uh, where there were issues because of the way they did the study and the design, still... When they followed up the women for 25 years, they found in a recent article that the women who took hormones lived on average two years longer than the women who did not take hormones. Wow. I mean, that's probably the best explanation of that, that study that I've ever heard, Dr. Mesh, because I really, um, you know, a lot of the, the whole thing about the discrepancy between the age range makes sense because... The, the studies do show that as you are older, uh, going into the 60s and 70s, that's when the breast cancer yes. is found more commonly. Isn't that right? Just that naturally. Yeah, as we age, exactly. things go wrong, you know, and that's part right. of it. Right. I mean, one of the things that, you know, nowadays we have all sorts of great uh, testing that we can do, whether it's urine testing or uh, salivary testing, but testing so that you can see your levels of estrogens and see if you have the ability to detox it out properly. And there's a lot of great supplements that can help support uh, with the management of estrogen detoxification. So that also needs to be, you know, be spoken about that doctors should, I, I believe doctors, if you're going to utilize and, and uh, prescribe the estrogen patch or estrogen hormone bioidentical creams, et cetera, or even orally oral drops, then got to follow up with the right type of labs to make sure that the women are able to detoxify the estrogens rather than it stimulating those receptor sites in the breast in excessive way or possibly in the ovaries. Well, I think you bring a very important point too, is that while I do uh, see many women who are on hormones as well as many who are not, well, if you take hormones and expect that hormones are going to make you, you know, well and live, you know, the best life possible, 
in the absence of lifestyle changes, like eating really a good, healthy, uh, wholesome diet, uh, getting enough sleep, maintaining your stress and regular exercises, if you don't add those to the whatever form of treatment you get, you're missing the opportunity to impact the quality of your life and the quality of your years because those things contribute favorably to every aspect of your life. And and many people expect if they take a pill or a patch or some form of medicine that they don't have any obligation to do anything. And that's where the mistake happens. That's right. That's right. So um, let's, can we talk about, you know, we, you mentioned about estrogen. What are some of the alternatives? We, you know, again, there's the patch, uh, there's oral estradiol uh, or triest often or bias. There's so many different types. Um, how does a doctor decide which ones to use? Well, if we're talking about uh, hormones per se, there are there are many kinds of there are many ap, uh, forms of hormones. Most the most common estrogen that is in the woman's body is estradiol. It's the most potent one, and it's the one that's most typically in hormones that are uh, prescribed. Those estradiol is what's called a bioidentical hormone. Bioidentical is not a medical term; it's actually a marketing term. But what it means is, is that the, the chemistry, the chicken wire shape of the molecule is exactly the same in uh, the medication as it is in the woman's body. And there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding that if you get hormones from a compounding pharmacy or from a, a traditional drugstore, that estradiol, the estrogen itself, the most common one, is different somehow. It's more safe or natural from a compounding pharmacy. But in fact, it's the same estrogen, exactly identical. And it's just the difference is is that in the traditional drugstores, all of the um, hormones are FDA approved and they have more quality assurance, whereas that's not a requirement in the compounding pharmacies. And so that's a potential issue. But uh, we could talk about that more, but what I want to say is that you can get estrogen as a patch on, or as a cream, as a spray, as a gel, and all of those are topical. You can get them as a pill or a gel cap, uh, and that's, or a lozenge, that's oral. Or you can get them vaginally as a cream or a gel or as a gel cap or a tablet or as a ring that has a month supply in it or a three-month supply in it. All of those are also forms of estrogen that are available. Of course, there's the alternatives to estrogen as well. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the alternatives? Of course. The alternatives to estrogen is... Uh, is really broken into several parts. First of all, uh, there are prescription alternatives like the traditional drugstore uh, prescription. Uh, those, and the difference is when you take estrogen, estrogen's kind of smart in the sense it goes to every cell in the body. And so if you have mood changes, it can affect that. If you have skin changes, it can prevent that. If you have sensitive bladder or dry vagina or other hot flashes, all of those are treated by uh, estrogen. Or if your bones, you're worried about loss of calcium. 
you can get all of that from estrogen. If you don't take estrogen, which is fine, then you've got to go and look at your body and take care of the some of you and not just some of you because the estrogen goes to every cell whereas the other pills are going to be highly specific. So there are now prescriptions that prevent bone loss. There are some non-estrogen prescription alternatives uh, that affect hot flashes. There are some prescription non-estrogens that affect a vaginal dryness and other symptoms, sensitive bladder and so forth. If you don't want a prescription, then there are also uh, complementary and alternative approaches. There are, medi- there are uh, supplements that can be helpful uh, for hot flashes, for instance, like soy or black cohosh or others. And once again, you have to address the symptoms uh, that you want to address individually, if it's hot flashes or bones or bladder or mood. They're all different supplements. And then you go into the kinds of uh, behavioral changes, like more exercise uh, can lower the risk of depression, reverse mild depression, it can improve hot flashes, it can do uh, lower the risk of breast cancer or recurrence of breast cancer. Exercise is really potent. And there are also other things like cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, CBT, which has been shown to, in many studies now, shown to improve uh, depression, shown to improve hot flashes, shown to improve sleep. These are, uh, for instance, and of course other forms of uh, approaches include things like Tai Chi or yoga and so forth, but cognitive behavioral therapy is probably uh, the most studied in a favorable way. Oh, fantastic. Uh, when I was going through, I, I tried a lot of different things for myself, uh, but and, and I started utilizing uh, similar formulations for my patients, my female patients as well. And I found that resveratrol and po- pomegranate juice and pumpkin, pumpkin seeds really, really helped as well. Um, and I even uh, started using the more of the uh, natural hormones that such as DHEA, as well as a pregnenolone, that was super helpful too, which are much higher in uh, the actual pathways of steroid hormone production. So uh, instead of using or getting the estrogens, I just basically took the upper, um, the pregnenolone and the that could produce testosterone and estrogen. That worked really well. I love Tai Chi. I love all of your recommendations, which is fantastic. Speaking of pregnenolone, it also helps you make progesterone. Can you talk to us a little bit about progesterone? And do we need to use progesterone also as we go into the menopausal phases? Well, that's a very important question. Uh, In the Women's Health Initiative study that I talked about earlier, some Some of the women... And these were tens of thousands of women, so a lot, but a large percentage of them had had surgery that caused them to have their uterus removed or a hysterectomy. Now, the reason that women need progesterone in menopause, the only reason that they need it medically is because estrogen alone causes the lining of the uterus to build up. And then in the second half of the cycle, progesterone, which is really progestation, takes the lining of the uterus 
and stops it from growing thicker and thicker and thicker and makes it compact and turn into a, uh, a lovely, soft bed for an implanting embryo. So progesterone protects the lining from building up. And then at the end of that uh, month, if you don't get pregnant, the lining sheds like an etch sketch or something. It just sheds the whole lining and then you start all over. In hormone replacement therapy, if you get estrogen only without, and you have your uterus, you haven't had a hysterectomy, the estrogen will build up the lining, but without the progesterone, it will continue to grow and grow and grow. And if you get enough of it over a long period of time, say a decade, a small percentage of women will develop uterine cancer. If you add progesterone to the estrogen, it doesn't happen. It's 99.9999999 going to prevent estrogen from doing any harm, and the woman can tolerate the hormones without risk to her uterus or the risk of uterine cancer. So estrogen plus progesterone is needed for women with a uterus. Estrogen only is needed for women without a uterus. In the, mm, women's health initi- in the Women's Health Initiative study, the, estrogen, the progesterone that they used was the only one available orally at the time. It was medroxyprogesterone. And medroxyprogesterone, it turns out, is a culprit for causing an increased risk of breast cancer. The women who had estrogen only in the Women's Health Initiative study actually had a lower risk of breast cancer than the women who got a placebo. So estrogen, despite all of this fear, and I can appreciate the fear. I talk to women's groups and to doctors' groups around the country, and everyone is still afraid, not everyone, but many are still afraid of hormones. But the fact is estrogen alone lowers the risk of breast cancer by about 23% and heart disease by about 30% if it started close to the time of menopause. That's that's the important factor there, absolutely. And, of course, it may help with uh, ease a lot of the symptoms, aggravating symptoms that we all deal with. Uh, with regards to um, estrogens, I mean, so there's definitely, uh, the truth is it will be helpful, and, and but you just got to make sure you get checked out and make sure that you do your ultrasounds and, make, and check out on your endometrial layer so that you know it's not going to be overgrowth. And, um, and then, of course, uh, you can find all about this great information on your, in your book, yes. uh, The Estrogen Fix, which is available where? It's pretty much everywhere, but you can get it on Amazon or, you know, places where books are sold. But The Estrogen Fix is, I get a lot of letters from women who, around the world who've read that, and it really clears it up in a simple way. And it's been... It's been recommended by the North American Menopause Society, not only for women, but for their doctors who are trying to get clarity because there's so many references in it. Oh, it's it's a fantastic book. Uh, the re- Estrogen Fix, but also you've got a website uh, that's been super helpful for millions of women all around the world, online, uh, hotyearsmag.com, hotyearsmag.com. And then your own website, Dr. May. Dot com, which is D-R-M-A-C-H-E dot com. Thanks so much, Dr. Mage. I'm so happy we, we had you on. Finally, I've been wanting to do this for, gosh, over a year, two years even maybe, and I really, really appreciate your time. Dr. Suzanne, thank you for having me on. Happy and healthy holidays.
You too. Thank you so much. Wow, that's such great information in such a short period of time. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I know you've learned a great deal about how to deal with menopausal symptoms with ease. And I'm sure you know someone right now who's going through the change. So please share the show with them and the information will be able to change their life for the better. And do subscribe if you haven't already so we can continue to do our very best here on Wellness for Life. If you need help in digging deeper with your health issues, I work with people globally all around the world through phone and Skype consultations. My contact info is available on my website, drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.